0: Well, welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson. I'm here with Pastor Jesse Randolph, and we have our special guest here today, Dr. Gary Gilly. Thank you for being here, Thank Dr. You. Gilly. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Dr. Gilley has been pastoring at Southern View Chapel yes. in Springfield, Illinois, since 1975, quite the faithful ministry there. Um, he's authored a number of books, I think eight books,
1: that's probably right. That's probably right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Contributed to others. Yes. And um, you lead a discernment ministry called Think on These Things Ministries, which can be found at tottministries.org. ministries.org. Um, thank you for your ministry to pastors and and lay Christians alike. Um, thank you for your ministry to us this morning. Mm. Dr. Gilly spoke on the subject of Christian nationalism, and that's what we want to ask you about today.
2: Yeah, I, I echo that and second those sentiments. Uh, have been blessed by your ministry. We we share a connection through IFCA International as well, and I know you've been a blessing to the people of our church. So again, thank you, Gary, for being on the podcast. Uh, first question is just a real basic one. We have listeners of, of from all around the country now um, and from various levels of maturity and discernment. Mm. So basic question, what is Christian nationalism? Mm. Uh, where did the ideology of Christian nationalism come from? Yeah,
1: So that's a big question. And the problem is there's so many different wrinkles, so many different definitions, so many different views that I think people are confused, even those that have studied it would come up with different descriptions. So uh, let me give you a real quick definition. It goes, an ideology that idealizes and advocates a fusion of American civic life with a particular type of Christian identity and culture. So it's a bringing together of some form of Americanism, for the most part, with some form of Christianity. The problem with that is uh, that really doesn't define everything. A lot of people that would Fit the description of Christian nationalism, are not even Christians, and so it's a real hard call. the The uh, evangelical church today is is split over a lot of these things. We we don't, and different views. The media has a view. The politicians have a view. The general public has a view. We read something on uh, on TV or see something on TV or Fox News or whatever else about somebody doing something, calling themselves Christian nationalists, and. uh, and is that what it is, or is it not? So I, I think it's a lot of confusion. I've read a number of books now and listened to podcasts and articles, and there's still so many ways to go about this. But I think in general, it's the idea that America is in a free fall morally, and there are many people who, some are Christians, some are not, who want us to come back to the, the moral state that we that they believe we had in the past, perhaps in the fifties something like that they go back and they watch uh the old uh, TV shows Andy Griffith and and uh Ozzie and Harriet or whatever else and they, and they believe there's this this time in America where we are much more moral and much uh had more Christian values and they want to return to that they're very upset about losing that in our society and and uh, and that's a, a reasonable concern i mean we are watching unbelievably specialized several years we've watched this that the, progress, the liberal progressives come in and take over various things, wokeism, terms we never even heard of a few years ago. What what are we talking about? First time I read a book on wokeism or, or being woke, I, I thought it was funny. I had no idea what we're talking about here. So they, they, But we know about those things now. and Everybody talks about them, but not everybody knows how to define them. So I think we have to d- determine which portion of Christian nationalism we want to discuss. So are we looking at this political system? This uh, Americanized form, and and people have many opinions about those kinds of things. Are we looking at more of a theological uh, trend within Christianity? So what we talked about this morning was more the theological aspect of this, not the uh, general population view. There's overlap, but um, there's things going on in, within Christian circles, conservative Christian circles, that we need to be aware of and one of the things that uh, we have to also be aware of is that many of the people that are pushing a Christianized Christian nationalism are people that we would agree with on a lot of things. So these are not enemies of the gospel. These are people that love Christ, love the Word, would stand with us on so many issues, uh, that, uh, including the gospel, fortunately, but who uh, we don't agree with, perhaps, in some of the thrusts they're taking some of the theology they have, especially about end times. And so we have to go back and look at those things and say, okay, we can look at these people, we can read these people, we can line up with these people, but we have to use real discernment when it comes to certain issues such as this. So that's kind of where we left it this morning. Mm-hmm.
0: And what would you say are the different responses to Christian nationalism or, or different orientations?
1: Those who have done research on this have come up with about four different re- uh, responses all the way from rejectors who want nothing to do with this at all just keep away from christian nationalism or anything christian to those who say uh, well we see the point but we don't want it to be Christianized and and others who say yeah uh, we want to have a more moral world but but we don't want it to be christian only and then there's uh, about 20 percent supposedly according to the studies of uh, people that would say we want to return to a Christian base in America that is that is at least somewhat biblically sound. And of that group, about twenty percent, there is a much smaller group who are who are making this a, a primary part of their ministry and a primary push. Uh, they, they believe that uh, America will never recover, that uh, until we change our eschatology, our view of the end times, and until we we make it certain adjustments that would help us become ultimately Christian nations and a Christian world. Mm-hmm. So there has to be these adjustments that take place uh, before we can get there. So that's a group we're really most interested in because these are people that affect us. The people in our churches and many of the people in this audience here have uh, perhaps heard about or read or, or followed a podcast by some of these individuals And much of what they they say sounds very good, and they might be buying into it. They might be confused. They might not know what to think. So that's kind of where we are with this. Mm
2: -hmm. You've mentioned eschatology a couple of times already. How does one's eschatology factor into this concept of theological Christian nationalism? What theological eschatological trends do you see? And if you could broaden that out a little bit, even in your answer as to hermeneutics and where hermeneutics play into this, okay. because obviously, one's hermeneutic, hermeneutic drives one's eschatology, which can lead to one's views on Christian nationalism.
1: Right. So nothing big, just hermeneutics and, yeah, and eschatology in about thirty yeah. seconds <laughs> okay. or less. I can I can do that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Let's well let's start with uh, eschatology. So those in this particular group that I'm talking about. And, and uh, let, me, let me back up a little bit. There's a group that, that has been termed the, the Redoubt. So this is a group mostly in Idaho, uh, Pacific Northwest, who uh, the, the hub around Moscow, Idaho with Doug Wilson. This is a group that are pulling away from uh, mainline culture and are trying to establish a parallel, uh, alternative Christian-like culture. And they see that as important to eventually bring about the kingdom of God. So that group is pulling back and doing that. But what is really driving their thinking in theology is their eschatology. They believe that, the, some of them believe that there are two main things that we have to do to Christianize America and the world. We have to, first of all, evangelize. And secondly, we have to change our eschatology. They believe that the major culprit as to why America is going downhill as far as Christians are concerned, has to do with premillennialism. The idea then is that when we believe that the world is getting worse, that before Christ returns, the world will be worse, especially in the tribulation period, and we're waiting for the return of Christ in the form of a rapture, followed by a tribulation, followed by the second coming of Christ, followed by him setting up his kingdom. If we believe that, then we're not going to do anything to try to Christianize the world. And so premillennialism is the enemy of Christian nationalism. We have to get rid of that and bring in a postmillennial view, which is the idea that Christ will come back to the earth only after we have uh, Christianized the nations. We have to uh, disciple the nations uh, and bring them into at least a cultural Christianity in which, uh, in which the world is a much better place, in which Christians dominate the world system, the politics, uh, the media, and so forth, and the and the world is wrapped around the Christian dominance. When that happens at some point, Christ then comes back and finishes the task by setting up His eternal kingdom. So that's the the eschatology. We have to change that according to these folks in order to uh, ever expect any kind of change in the world system. Now they realize, because they're pragmatist, as most people are, that that will probably take many, many thousands of years. Unless something miraculous changes, uh, the uh, The changing of societies and nations don't, don't happen overnight. So we're looking at what they call the long game. So they're going to try to do their part in this county, in this state, in this region, in this country, until ultimately the world is taken over for Christ by Christians. And, uh, and that could take 10,000 years, 100,000 years. We don't know. Nobody knows that. But they're willing to play the long game and, and do that. So that's their eschatology. And that's a really important thing because uh, that if that is your view, that really changes your outlook towards the end times and what we are to be doing right now. The the for the most part, uh, see the mission of the church is to bring people to Christ, rescue them from, a, from fallen, corrupt society and world, bring them to Christ, uh, bring them to the place of redemption and regeneration, and then disciple them to walk with Christ. So that is the task that we see before us. That's been pretty much uh, standard Christianity for a long time. Has changed a lot in recent times, and we have a lot of people in evangelicalism that kind of believe in what I call a two-prong gospel. We we not only redeem individuals, redeem we redeem societies. So we're trying to to develop cultures, redeem cultures for Christ, uh, bringing a social agenda, uh, if not the social gospel, at least a social agenda, so that the whole gospel they're saying includes the redemption of individual souls and the redemption of our societies. But the uh, Christian nationalists with a, pro, a post-millennial view wants to go much further than that. They want to take over the world for Christ. They want to dominate uh, Christian dominance over the world. And so that's that's their view. So if that is your view, you're not simply bringing people to Christ and discipling them for Him. You're also ever so slowly and whatever methodology you want to use, you're d- taking over the world for Christ so that eventually he will come back and then set up his eternal kingdom. So that's a very different uh, way to live the Christian life. The hermeneutics, if we could go to that for a moment, deals with how how do we approach the Bible when uh, our view would be a literal, historical, grammatical view of the Scriptures we're looking for the authorial intent. What did the, what did the authors mean by what they wrote? Of course, the Holy Spirit being the ultimate author of Scripture, using people. So what did the Scriptures mean when it was, when it was written? Our job as students of Scripture is to, to determine the, the, author, the intent, intent of the authors and then to build out from there how, how that intent, how those Scriptures uh, fit our culture, our world, our individual lives now, and then ultimately how that is applied to our lives. So that's how we approach Scripture. Uh, Our position as premillennialists dispensationalists is that we approach all the Scripture with that same hermeneutic, including prophecies and eschatology, the Book of Revelation, the Olivet Discourse, all those areas. So we're using the same hermeneutics all the way through. The the Christian nationalists in the postmillennialists changed that view uh, in the area of eschatology, and, and maybe and maybe a few other things, they're with us on much of Scripture. So they that's why they have the same gospel, the same view of the Christian life in some ways, the same theology concerning God and and Scripture and many many things. But when it comes to eschatology, they say that the that there's that the Scriptures and Revelation and so forth cannot be taken that way. We have to come up with a different spiritualizing or allegorizing. A hermeneutic to understand or to apply, end-time theology. So they dismiss the Christian nationalist and the postmillennialist, uh, as well as the preterist. They dismiss uh, the uh, the Book of Revelation as having any future impact or theology for us. All that has already been taken care of in the first century. So so all that is historical, or some of them might say, it blended over to church history a little bit. But uh, primarily, we're looking at something that's already been fulfilled. There's not much prophecy yet to be fulfilled. So some of these that we would call preterists uh, even believe that all the all prophecy was fulfilled by 70 A.D. and the destruction of, of Jerusalem. Some of those preterists would believe that Christ will still come back. There will be some judgments and, and resurrections. But almost everything's been fulfilled and so we don't approach the book of Revelation, the Olivet Discourse, the book of Daniel. We don't approach that as if that's something in the future, uh, something that, some prophecy. These things have already been fulfilled in history. And so they, in order to get there, they have to change their hermeneutical approach. And so that's why we differ in, in our eschatology. It's not that we're not reading the same Bible. We're, we're approaching it differently in certain areas, and that changes what we, our interpretation.
0: Thank you, Dr. Gilly. That's so helpful. Um, just talk about their eschatology and hermeneutics. Um, as you mentioned in the session before, you know, Doug Wilson and others in that camp are gaining a following through social media, mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. And maybe, um, I think you said that the group in Redoubt is somewhat small, but their influence is is wide and broad. Yes. Um, how should Christians, Bible-believing Christians who want to be faithful to Scripture, just respond to these teachings as they come across them?
1: Well, we're going to have to use discernment, and that's that's a nasty word today. People don't want to do that. A lot of times people think discernment is critical, negative. So, you know, why, why are we being so critical? Mm-hmm. So something comes up, and uh, and we even challenge that or look into it, well, that's being critical. And so we're living in that environment where, you know, we, we aren't supposed to do that. But we have to do that as Christians if we're going to be able to discern anything, so we come to these things like this, and we listen to a podcast, and we can we can take away from that good things and enjoyable things, but we're going to have to take it all through the grid of scripture. That's a term I'd like to use a lot. It's kind of like, you know, taking it through the meat grinder. Mm-hmm. You take your meat, you put it through the grinder. What comes out at the end is determining on the grinder you've got, right? So we have to take the the philosophy, the metaphysics. That's a fancy word right now. The the theology, even the teachings of the church fathers and the theology of of the past. And, and we have to let Scripture determine whether those things are biblically sound, whether they're true. Uh, we're, we're, our problem is we're letting the philosophies of well-spoken uh, people, articulate people, both today and in the past, if I'm going back to the church fathers and different ones, we're allowing those people to determine what we believe rather than letting Scripture do that. So I don't have any problem with people listening to these things, but they have to bring with them their Bibles and say, what is the Bible's teaching on these things? And one of the things I I think on a broader picture, if I could say this, because I read a lot of books, most of the books I read in the Christian genre are not biblical exegesis. We're not going to the Scriptures, here's what Scripture teaches on this, that, or the other, and maybe making application, most of it is the ideas and philosophies and traditions that people have come up with, pragmatism in particular. So here's what works. Here's what works for a church. Here's what works for, for Christian living. Here's what works for a marriage. And uh, now let find some proof texts in Scripture to baptize into that. And as a result of that, we get all these different ideas out there that, that just don't come from Scripture. And so that's that's a major problem because most people have not been taught to go to the scripture, go to these books, and determine whether or not these are biblically sound. They're looking at is are these things pragmatic? Are they interesting? Do they seem to work? And if they do, they like it. Mm-hmm. And and I think especially young people that don't have the history of you know, many years of looking at different trends are very Prone to bite very quickly and and get established in a particular position before they've really had time to think it through, and because these podcasts and YouTube interviews are very accessible, very short term, not necessarily thought out with different positions, it's easy to invest in something before you've thought it through. So, I'm a very strong believer in in reading books that analyze and and get into details give the pros and cons, maybe read several books on the subject. They come from different directions and really begin to analyze these things from, from a perspective of scripture. If we don't do that, we're just kind of following the trends. And when I began to do the thing on these same, uh writings and so forth, that's kind of where, where I've been over the years. What are the latest trends mm-hmm. and the trends come and go. Some die out, some carry on. But, um, they always leave an, an impact. So when I wrote one of my first books, "This Little Church Went to Market," I was dealing with the so, the social God—not the social gospel, the uh, seeker-sensitive church movement. Some of that has changed and died out, but but it's, it has infected and changed the church in America everywhere. Mm-hmm. So people don't talk a, a, about the seeker-sensitive movement as much, but it has changed what the church is. The emergent church, for example, came along uh, 20 years ago with Brian McLaren and and Rob Bell and these guys, and nobody talks about that now. I I haven't heard anybody say anything about the emergent church in in five or six, eight years. But the ideas infiltrated the church, and so they're part of the church now without anybody talking about it. that's a great concern because now these things are part of what many people think just is biblical Christianity, and it's not. But we don't know that because we've not had the history or the thinking, the processing, the looking at these things from a biblical perspective that we need to do, not just as church leaders, but as well-read, well-thinking Christians in our churches.
0: Appreciate that insight. And I love what you said, put everything through the grid of scripture um, because it is profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training up in righteousness.
2: Right,
1: All four things. Yeah. Uh,
2: That's incredibly helpful. And I think about, just the culture in which we live, the time in which we live, you've already mentioned it, but bite-sized theology, Twitter theology, which is no way to get ones or build ones theology right. in 144 characters or less, there's a reactiveness, a reactionary spirit that I think our culture is seeing more and more. And I wonder if some of that factors into Christian nationalism where you know we've been in this kind of lockdown culture over the last couple of years, few years, I know we're coming out of it, but... Uh, There's been, I know, this kind of pushback and resistance to government authority, which I think could factor into some of this. And that's also not a place to build your theology is by reacting to the culture. It's to, like we're talking about, build it brick by brick, as Bernard Ram would say, upon scripture and what you see in the scripture. Uh, There's also this tendency, which Paul wrote about in Colossians 2, you addressed this this morning, to philosophize and or to mix the gospel with philosophy or to mix the gospel to your point earlier about Um, mixing it with social issues or to mix it in in this case with nationalistic issues. The gospel is the gospel. It's one message, one hope through one man, the God, man, Jesus Christ. Once you start adding anything to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. So I think it's just a helpful reminder from you on these, on the, on each of these topics about going back to the, the, sufficiency, the adequacy of scripture, building your theology from that base and not allowing the the worldly philosophies to 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 overtake, which is again such such a temptation not just in our day but has been historically as well
1: mm-hmm. and you know going back to what you just said, i'm writing some articles right now, writing an article for a magazine on inerrancy, mm-hmm. so that was supposed to have been settled years ago, you know but it, it but it hasn't been settled, and so it keeps coming back up in different forms, so I'm actually writing an article on on the attacks on inerrancy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's extremely important, but moving beyond inerrancy is sufficiency. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people believe in inerrancy that really don't believe in sufficiency. So the Bible's not sufficient. So we have to add psychology, we have to have uh, philosophies, we have to add traditions, we have to have creeds because it's not sufficient for our life and living today. And so so we add our own thoughts, we add our own uh, intuitions. we We think God's speaking to us in various ways. And uh, as well as all these other things, including good ideas from Christian nationalism or whatever you, that we think should filter in. Now, we live in a world, and we have to live in a world. We have a lot of thoughts. We have a lot of things we have to work through. But if we don't begin with the idea that the Scripture is God's very Word and it is sufficient for all the things you just said mm-hmm. concerning life and godliness, if, if we don't believe that, then we are going to go, we're going to start with something else. And if you start with almost anything else, you don't get back to what Scripture says. We have to start with the foundation. And that includes the things we're talking about here. That includes the recent revival issues at Asbury uh, and anything else else that comes along. Let's start with what Scripture says, the pattern of Scripture, the teaching of Scripture. Let's move from that to, to analyze and look at anything that comes along. When we do that, we're not likely to go too far astray. If we reverse that and start with anything but Scripture, I think anything goes. And I think that's where much of evangelicalism is today.
0: Wow, well, that's so helpful. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for being here yeah. uh, on this podcast. We Good. enjoy having you.
1: Good, thank you.
2: Jesse, do you have any last words for us today? Oh, you know I do. Dr. <laughs> Gilly, thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah. Your words have been very helpful, and that the last word as always goes, to God and His word. In 2 Timothy one thirteen, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sound Words Podcast.